McChesney Park, if anybody was wondering. Well, welcome again to New Life. I'm Mark Myers, the pastor here. We're going to start um, by taking offering here tonight while I talk about a couple things. Um, as we do that, we will um, transition the children to their experience if they want to follow Miss Whitney, uh, K through fifth grade, and any preschool age kids. We do have nursery care available out um, by the coffee shop. Uh, this is the last night I'm going to talk about family and friends campaign. Hopefully you all understand what we're doing with this. This is a fundraising campaign um, to help our, our new ministry um, to gain a little bit more stability and uh, hopefully, if we don't ever have to touch that money, a little bit of um, support in, in terms of future ministries that we may have. All of the materials are sitting on that desk, on that table out there. If we run out, we can make more. Just tell us that you need how many you need and we will make them. Um, we're not going to be talking about it probably again in worship because um, we want to try to get everybody's letters back by the end of this month. So if you have them, make sure you're sending them out here in the next couple weeks. Get them if you can. Make a list. The idea is send it to all your family and friends. Ask them to support you in this ministry by giving a gift to New Life. Just like your, fa- your family, your friends, your co-workers ask you to support all kinds of ridiculous things that they're raising money for. Um, this is something we hope you feel passionate about, something you want to invest in, something you want to ask your friends to invest in. There's a letter. It's written. All you have to do is sign your family or friend's name on it. Inside, there's an envelope with a little card. You put a stamp on the envelope. You put the letter and the little envelope in the big envelope. You write your name and address, their name and address, put a stamp on. That's how our system of mail works. Right now, I know any given day things seem to change in this country, but for right now the post office is open and uh, they are still accepting mail. So that's how it will work. Uh, But the the rates are going to go up pretty soon, so make sure you send them out quick. I don't think in the next couple weeks. Uh, Also, you might notice my um, fabulous mug there. I'm not going to tell you anything about it, um, but uh, come back here in a couple weeks and we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, mug and what we're doing with that. You'll also find atten- uh, attendance registers on your um, chairs. Make sure you uh, sign in to- so we know you are here. Um, also, if you are a guest tonight or you are not receiving our e-newsletter or you have a private um, prayer concern or request, uh, you can fill that out and back or fill out your information so we can get you on our email weekly newsletter that's right now 6 p.m. on Thursday. We were doing 6 a.m. on Thursday, and I changed it up. So, and more of you are reading it, so maybe that was good. So just keep, keep checking, because I might change it up again here in a little bit. So as we begin our, um, continue our series, Not a Fan, let's uh, have a word of prayer. And we will hear what the gospel has to say. Lord, we just invite you into this place, into this time, into this moment, into this just holy setting. We ask that you just open our hearts, that you allow us to hear with new ears, see with new eyes, love with new hearts, and follow you with new life. Be with us now, and be with all of our community as they're off uh, wherever they are. Help us be one, regardless of where we are, as you are one. Amen. I worked at a truck stop for several years. I know some of you know that. Um, 
uh, exit 93 in Ottawa, which is uh, Route 71. Uh, Tom's been to that truck stop, um, as, as some of you may have been. It's an exciting place. I worked at the gas station part of it, not the restaurant part of it. But the restaurant has amazing soup. Ever stop for soup there? I started, uh, I started working there the, the summer of my junior year of college. And incidentally, that was the year um, that I decided to really follow Christ and go into ministry. Well, that summer, I had a, a very strange experience. Um, a woman came into the truck stop. I was like a cashier, I guess. I don't know, a pump boy. I don't know, whatever they call that these days. And she she rang up her items or paid for her gas, but but the entire time she was giving me this really kind of look of disgust. Has anyone ever just gave you that kind of awful look? My wife, yeah, gives me that on a regular basis. Um, yeah, right now that's that's the look. That's the look. And, and after I was all done, um, she was all done paying for her items. She looked at me and she said, "Are you a Christian?" Uh, she said it a little more snotty than that. And, and I said, yes, because I thought, yes, seemed like the right answer at the time. And she said, well, a Christian would never wear that. And she kind of turned around and stomped out. Well, I don't think she was referring to my slacks and white button-down shirt and my red shell vest or my, my, little, you know, um, my little button that said, try V-Power gasoline, because that was coming out right around the time I worked. She was referring to the uh, necklace that I was wearing, which was an Ankh. And the Ankh is an uh, Egyptian hieroglyph that means life. It looks like a T with a circle on top. Okay? Later on, after I had uh, graduated college and before I went to seminary, I was still working at the gas station because it's lots of fun. And obviously got some good stories from it. And I, a man came in and, and we were talking and it came up that I was going to seminary. I decided to become a pastor, and I, I was actually enrolled in seminary and was going to be starting in just a couple months. And when he heard that, after we had a conversation for a while, he went out to his car and came back with a book, and he said, I want to give you this book. And I said, oh, that's nice. And later I looked at that book, and it was a book, and I won't tell you what denomination it was, but it was from one type of Christian denomination, and it was written for pastors of other denominations to try to convert them to that denomination. Either that woman or that gentleman, in their minds, I was not following the rules. I was not following the way that they thought you needed to follow Jesus because if you follow Jesus, you can't wear an ankh, and if you follow Jesus, you can't be United Methodist. And I'm sure in their minds, they were trying to save me from the unquenchable fires of hell. And, and so I give them credit for that. But you can understand when rules become more important than following, some problems arise. Now, there are a lot of stories of rule breakers in the Bible, but one really great story comes from John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, just turn them to John chapter 8. Jesus is teaching in the temple. 
in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, this, this crowd of priests and, and scribes, the Sanhedrin, the re- religious elite, they come and, and they just surround him. And they're really an angry mob, and they just surround him. And after they've surrounded Jesus, they throw this woman into the center of this circle that they've made. And, and these men all have stones in their hands, large, uh, almost like softball-sized stones. And they say to Jesus, because they were trying to mess with him, we found this woman in the midst of adultery. We found her in the bed of a man who was not her husband. The law says we should stone her. What do you say? That's what they said to Jesus. Now they said this for two reasons. First, they didn't like Jesus at this point in the Bible. And they wanted to mess him up. So if Jesus said, yes, the law says it's right to stone her, he would be going back on everything he had said to this point about loving sinners and about God forgiving and about God being with the least of these. And if he said, yes, it's right to stone her, he would also be in violation of the Roman law because the Romans did not give the Jews the right to execute. So he would be breaking Roman law and he would be breaking, contradicting everything he had said up to this point. But if he said this, no, you should not stone her, then he was breaking the law of Moses. He was breaking the law of the Bible, the law that had been written and followed for a thousand years. And these leaders, these religious elite in Jesus' time, loved their rules. Now, we not, may not form angry mobs and, and try to stone people. I, don't, I hope not. If you're involved in some of that stuff, maybe we should talk later sometime this week. But every time we gather together, and we talk about someone who's fallen short. We're basically doing the same thing. Every time we talk about someone who's breaking a rule that we've established, we're doing the same thing. In fact, a lot of Christians have made following a moral code, unfortunately often aligned with some political belief or affiliation, they've made that the same as following Jesus. And if you are breaking those rules, those established rules, you are not following Jesus. And often, you are hellbound. You're no good. But more common than that, we create rules. And we, let, we, we basically say other people should live up to those rules to make us feel superior, to make us feel more Christ-like, to make us feel better about ourselves. Now, the, real, the reality about rules, especially the rules in the Bible, which there are a lot of rules, and there's nothing wrong with rules, but the reality is none of us have followed all of the rules of Scripture. The over 600 laws of Moses, the laws of the Old Testament, are impossible for us to follow today because several of them have to do with life in the temple, and, and the temple's gone. It's been gone for 2,000 years. So following the law verbatim is impossible. We all fall sharp. We all make mistakes. Unfortunately, we do this in our church. We create rules for what you should wear, 
how you should act, how you should and shouldn't worship. We make rules for what Christians should and shouldn't look like. And it becomes impossible for new people, people who aren't following Christ, people who want to follow Christ even, to follow. Because they believe following means following all the rules, means being perfect. Now, many of you know I love games. If you didn't now, you've learned some things about me. I worked at a truck stop, and I love games. Many of the games that I play have complex rules, rules with books thicker than my Bible, very truthfully. And that's okay if you get a group of people together who can play a game with that complexity, and I think games like Bridge are much more complex than the games I play. And it's okay if you get people who understand the rules together to play a game, that's okay if you all understand the rules. But I've been in this situation, and I'm sure you've been in a similar situation before, where you're at a party or a social gathering, and somebody says, let's play a game. Now, somebody may come up and say, hey, let's play Scootaloo. You know Scootaloo? Kathy doesn't know Scootaloo. Well, then you ask, because you've never heard of Scootaloo, how do you play Scootaloo? And then they go into the detailed analysis of how one plays Scootaloo. They say, well, you need two decks of cards, but only the even numbers. Then you need 26-sided dice, but only from casinos found on Native American reservations. (laughs) Then you need three spoons, an ironing board, and four straws. Everybody gets seven cards and a random number of dice. You set up the ironing board, and everybody counts to ten in Greek, grabs a spoon, and whoever says scootaloo first takes the third straw. Now, after about ten minutes, uh, this is a fictional game. (laughs) I know some of you were... Some of you were trying to figure that out. Spoiler, Spoiler alert, it's not real. Well, after about ten minutes of that complex analysis, you have lost complete interest in the game because the rules have become too cumbersome. The rules have become too problematic, to, so much to the point you'll, you'll probably never play that game, even if it was a great game, even if it's the best game, and you'll probably never play a game that person suggests ever again. Now, on the other hand, I, I love a game that, that we often bring uh, when we go to parties that's just one deck of cards, and the only rule is draw a card, play a card. And it gets a little more complex as you go, but it's a game anybody can get into and anybody can play, and we always have a lot of fun playing that. Now, we do the same thing in church, as we've already said. We make rules that are almost too complex to follow. So here's a list of rules I found from a church website. Again, I won't tell you what denomination. A different denomination than the one that tried to convert me. And the many who have tried since then. Here's rules for guests. These are rules that you are expected to know before you come to church. As you enter the church, remember that you're going to stand in the presence of God, the King of Heaven, the same King who has billions of angels and saints trembling before His throne. You already want to go to this church, don't you? People are going to ask, where is this church? It's not near us, so you can't go. When you come to church, you should be dressed appropriately and modestly. Women should wear long dresses. 
and remove any makeup before entering the sanctuary. I don't know if they have like a little bathroom before you get there to do that, but as you enter the sanctuary, you should hold a silent prayer. Lord, show mercy on me, a sinner, while I am in your presence. Now remember, these are rules for people who have never been to church. Always get to church before service begins. Do not enter the sanctuary late, as it will disturb others who made it to church promptly. This is good, right? This church is closed now. (laughs) If you encounter friends or acquaintances at church, greet them with a silent bow of the head. Private conversations, long glances, and inside jokes are forbidden as they are sinful. I, I, I wish I was making this stuff up. <laughs> While in church, one should always stand when asked. Only the weak or ill have permission to sit when instructed to stand. Don't know how they test that. Do not leave church until the service is completely over. They probably lock the doors, so that can't happen. Leave in a state of silent reverence. And this is my favorite. If you see anyone violating these rules... Please inform them proper, promptly and also inform the church leadership. Now, it's, it's hard not to make fun of a list of rules like that. But we all do this. Every church has a set of rules like this. They may not seem as obscure, but we all do. And when we make rules more important than following Jesus, we start getting people who confuse the two. And we start having people who have no relationship with Christ think that's all that following Christ is, following a certain set of rules, living a certain type of life. But Jesus said very differently. Now as we continue our story in in John chapter 8, Jesus bends down and and he starts writing in the ground, uh, which is a cool image and there's a lot of great, great art around that. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of theories about what Jesus was doing. One of my favorite theories is Jesus is actually writing the sins of all those gathered around with stones in their hands. But who knows? But after a moment, Jesus stands up and says this, Whoever lives without sin can cast the first stone. One by one, those rule makers, those rule followers began to drop their stones. Now they prided themselves on following all the rules, but they knew in their hearts that they had fallen short. They knew in their hearts that they hadn't lived up to each and every one of those 600 plus rules. Soon it was just Jesus and the woman. He looks around and says, is there anyone left to condemn you? Well, I bet in the back of her mind, she's thinking, yep, There's one left. And she was right. The only person who lived without sin was standing right there. The only person who could judge her and condemn her was standing right there. But everyone else had left. And so she responded, no one, sir. Then Jesus did something very strange. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from this moment on, do not sin. At a previous church I served, we always had a confirmation retreat, which is a fun thing to do with the confirmants. Take them on a little weekend, and we always did that down in 
Dixon. And part of that retreat was the final exam. We didn't make our confirmands do that this year, but they always had a big, big final exam. And on that exam was questions about United Methodist doctrine and Christian beliefs and what are the six things that we believe about communion? How many apostles were there? How many versions of the United Methodist hymnal have there been? What does paragraph 301.2 in the Book of Discipline say? You know, simple things. And during that retreat, which included a lot of things, the kids would study and they would review and they would study some more and ultimately they would stress out about this final exam because they were told if you don't finish, if you don't pass the final exam, can't get confirmed, can't become a member of the church. That was the rules for how to become a member of the church. Then the test starts and the papers are handed out and as the confirmands stare at their test, a silence kind of takes over. A strange quiet. And eventually, one of them gets the courage to kind of say something. And they say, all the answers are already written on the test. At that point, the leader responds to them. Following Jesus is not about how much you know. It's not about memorizing all the rules or being perfect. The grace of God saved you and the grace of your leaders gave you the answers to your test. You see, rules don't inspire grace. Only grace inspires grace. Now, Jesus didn't deny any of the rules that day in the temple surrounded by accusers confronted with sin. In fact, listen to what he said. He said, if you have no sin, go ahead and throw a stone. He didn't say, don't throw a stone. He said, if you don't have sin, go ahead. Jesus, who had no sin, could have thrown a stone. By his own statement, he could have picked up a stone and sentenced that woman to death. But if he had done that, she would have no second chance. She would have no opportunity to follow him. Jesus literally saved her on that day. He gave her a second chance. Now, he didn't say, you're saved, no big deal. Keep doing what you're doing. He says, go and sin no more. He says, turn your life around, follow me. He says, I want you to succeed. I want you to experience my love, not fleeting love. I want you to experience purpose and meaning in a relationship with God, not in the relationships of men. Jesus made that day more about grace than about the rules. Now, if our life becomes about following rules, whether ones that are in the Bible or ones that we've created, we're going to be miserable because we are always going to fail. I don't need to give you many examples to prove that. Have you ever heard of New Year's resolutions? When we put rules on our own lives, we tend to fail. When we try to live up to rules that other people have put up, we tend to fail. But following Jesus is about living in grace. 
in the end, the grace of God frees us and it inspires us to live by God. To live in Christ. Now we can never uh, uh, love God by following a list of rules, but we can fulfill that list of rules, that law, when we follow Christ and when we love God and neighbor as ourselves. Now I found something interesting in my research this week on this passage. Uh, in some of your Bibles, there may be kind of earmarked um, a little section. Actually, when I was, because this is not always the Bible I use for study. This is an older Bible in my father's Bible. Uh, and in my version of the Bible, I, I was getting out to John chapter 8 this week, and, and I'm like, where's this story about the woman? And, and so I, I read through the chapter three times, and I'm like, well, maybe it was in, I think it's in John, maybe it was in Luke, or... Well, I realized it's in the, the entire sections in the footnotes. And, and it may be marked in your Bible that way. Uh, and, and when part of Scripture's in the footnotes or when it's marked in this special way, it generally means in the oldest translations that we have, this Scripture was not in all of them. Now, this is the RSV, the Revised Standard Version. And when this was written, there were about six versions of the Bible, all that came from the 4th and 5th century. Now, in five of those, uh, five of those translations, five of those uh, transcriptions, this story did not come. It was not in those versions of the Bible. But it was in one of them. Now, you may say, well, then, it's not, is it not a real story? Is it not authentic? Did it really not happen? Well, something interesting happened in my study this week, and that's why we study, because sometimes we find out interesting things. In these early transcriptions, these early translations of the Bible, from the 4th and 5th century. It wasn't included. But when you start reading the works of 1st century and 2nd century Christians, you actually find them talking about this story in particular. They actually reference this, not, not in necessarily their versions of the Bible, but you actually hear early Christian leaders lift up this version of the Bible. And what I found interested me, and that's why I'm talking about it now, what I found, some scholars believe, is that between the 1st and 2nd centuries and then the 4th and 5th centuries, scribes left this version or left this story out of the Gospel of John because it showed too much grace. They were worried, the people in, in the 4th and 5th century of the church, they were worried that people who committed adultery could think they could follow Jesus. They thought that they didn't want necessarily sinners to come follow Jesus. I actually read a really interesting article based on this in, in my research this week. Talking about someone who was doing ministry with the homosexual community. And he used this passage and he said, something interesting came to me when I read this story again. And he said, the woman had to be brought to Jesus. She did not come perfect. She did not come free from sin. She came in the midst of sin. But the only way that she was going to be following Jesus was if she was going to be brought to Jesus. So when we worry about doing ministry with sinners, we should worry, or we should thank God, I suppose, that we have that opportunity because that's what Jesus did. He sought out sinners. 
confronted them with their sin, yes, but that's not our job, that's his, and allowed them to follow him. It's a pretty cool story. And it's a pretty good example of how the church over the last 2,000 years has tried to lessen the grace of God. So as we continue asking this question, am I a fan or am I a follower? I want to pose it like this. Fans strive to follow all the rules. Fans actually create rules of their own for others to follow. Fans compare their achievements with the failures of those around them. Fans substitute rules for relationships. But followers know they're broken. Followers know they failed and fall short of the rules. Followers depend fully on the grace of God to save them. And followers show that same grace wherever they go. We have a couple more weeks, and I continue to encourage you to think about this question. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Amen. Let us pray as we transition to our third part of our worship experience. Lord, we thank you for your unending and infinite grace. We thank you that although we were sinners, you offered us salvation. Help us in a very broken world offer your grace to others. In a world that can't even seem to follow its own rules, help us not establish more, but live those rules by following your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you just be with our nation in the brokenness of our, our government and the brokenness of the homes that have been affected by this shutdown. We ask that your spirit just rests on the hearts of all those that claim they're Christian, but obviously aren't following you to the full letter. We ask that you maybe make their lives a little bit more about grace than about rules. We ask that you be with all those who are affected, those who are already weak, who are now weaker because of our indecision, our division, our brokenness. We ask that you truly just make us be your church, make us one, and help us share your grace wherever we can and help us find those sinners who are tired of living in sin, who are tired of living in a prison they created, who are tired of being a slave to desires and addictions, and who want freedom. Help us offer them a chance to follow you. We just ask that you bless us in all the ministry we do, all the fellowship, all of the worship, all of the outreach, all of the time together. Make us one. Make us follow your call to be your body, the church, the kingdom of heaven, here on earth.
I just want to thank Jesus for saving my soul.